0: Hello and welcome to Research Roundup, brought to you by the Primary Care Collaborative Cancer Clinical Trials Group, PC4. I'm Christy Milley, and each month we'll be looking at what's new in cancer in primary care research, and I'll be talking to authors of recent publications and presentations.
1: Hello everyone, thanks for joining us today. I'm your guest host, Associate Professor Nicole Rankin, from the University of Melbourne from the Melbourne School of Population and Global Health. It's my pleasure today to introduce to you our guest speaker. We're speaking with uh, Dr. Mohamed Saab from the University College Cork in Ireland. And Mohamed is a lecturer in the UCC School of Nursing and Midwifery and a registered general nurse. Welcome, Mohamed, pleasure to have you here today.
2: Thank you, Nicole, and thank you for the invite to speak today.
1: I'm also joined by my co host, Dr. Claire Nightingale from the Northern School of Population and Global Health. Claire and I have had the pleasure of working together for the last few months, and today we're going to be looking at a paper that Mohammed's team has written around referring high risk individuals for lung cancer screening. It's a systematic review of interventions with healthcare professionals. And you can find a summary of uh, the paper on the PC4 website, as well as the original paper. So welcome, Mohammed, and we're really keen to hear, just to begin with, about your experience as a a nurse academic. It seems that you have a wide range of interests, from virtual reality and athletes' health to health disparities in minority groups and the whole of the cancer care continuum. I'm interested to know a little bit more about what piqued your interest specifically in lung cancer screening.
2: Thank you, Nicole. Absolutely. My interests are, are quite wide, but I think the common theme among all the projects I'm involved in as SPI and, and co-PI is cancer. So I do use virtual reality. Um, that's kind of my my baby, if you want, my, my PhD baby from 2017, which I completed in 2017. Um, virtual reality to enhance men's awareness of testicular diseases. So it's like a VR game targeted at Raising awareness of testicular lumps and bumps in young men who are at the highest risk for testicular disease. Um, in terms of lung cancer, uh, again, my my interest in cancer is across the continuum. My, my master's, for example, was on testicular cancer survivorship, uh, and kind of I went to awareness for my PhD. So, for the lung cancer one, it's a project funded by the Health Service Executive, which is the primary healthcare provider in Ireland. Um, And there's a directorate within the healthcare executive here called the National Cancer Control Program. And one of the key aims of this uh, department, if you want, within the uh, HSC is to uh, improve uh, early cancer detection. So... um, The two lung cancer projects I was involved in are funded by the National Cancer Control Program, uh, particularly to deliver on a key recommendation from the uh, National Cancer Strategy 2017-2026 in Ireland, which is enhancing the early detection of uh, cancer. So this is kind of where the uh, lung cancer screening and early detection project uh, comes in.
1: And Mara, I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about where you see the key points of difference are between lung cancer screening and lung cancer early detection. I think people often get confused on the continuum of what the different points are. Maybe you could just go into that in a little more depth for the audience.
2: Absolutely. So. Like screening, by definition, it's screening people who are high risk but have no symptoms. And I think this is the the, the main the main difference between you know screening and referring people who come to you symptomatically and and it's important to, to draw the difference. and the funders made, made made sure that we do that in the reports um, in both reports. Um screening, very few countries have a well-established national screening programs. Uh, an example is the United States, for example. And the criteria for screening tend to be quite you know, tight in terms of age and um, risk factors for lung cancer. So it's important to note that um, in Ireland, we do not have a lung cancer screening program uh, yet. But there's a strategy in Europe, it's called beating cancer and screening is on the agenda for for this specific project. Uh, So hopefully in the future they would be because the benefits of screening are well-established in the literature. However, the uptake of screening remains low even in countries that have well-established screening programs like uh, USA.
1: Just turning now to the systematic review, I understand that this study is part of the larger project and you've already published another four papers uh, in the area. I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the broader project and how this systematic review fits within it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it's absolutely, we started with the one project and now we have two projects. And I think there's seven papers from this project uh, published already. Um, so the what the National Cancer Control Program is trying to do, as I said earlier, is to meet recommendations from the uh, cancer strategy, one of them is related to early detection of of cancer. So the first project involved, the meat of that project, if you want, were focus groups with people who are at very high risk for lung cancer, who live in high incidence areas as well, if you look at the map uh, in Ireland. So we went to two key areas that had very high incidence of lung cancer. One of them had high radon levels, for example, and we interviewed over 40 people um, who are at high risk, and we explored, you know, their help-seeking intentions and their awareness of lung cancer. The systematic review was being conducted, kind of in parallel with this with this study, to see what's out there to help people uh, detect lung cancer early. And, and help people, you know, who are not symptomatic to get screened early. So this is where kind of the, the two parts of that project ran in parallel. The second project involved going to the healthcare professionals this time and interviewing them about if you had a patient coming to you with uh, symptoms of lung cancer or any symptoms indicative of lung cancer, you know, they wouldn't be necessarily lung cancer. What would you do? Where would you refer them? So that was kind of Part two of that wider project, Um, what the government here is trying to do is to find strategies, push-pull strategies is what we call them, to push people who are at high risk for lung cancer or have symptoms of lung cancer to seek help for any symptoms and to enable healthcare professionals who receive these patients to pull them into their services and make the appropriate referrals. So that's kind of the, the wider project, and the reviews ran uh, in parallel, if you want, with these folks groups.
1: Fantastic. That sounds like a really great combination because then you're picking up, as you say, both the people who are currently without symptoms and those people who have some early signs. Did the healthcare professionals that you talked to have clear guidance around those early signs and symptoms like you know, unexplained weight loss or other factors?
2: Yeah, so the healthcare professionals we spoke to, um, there were four groups um, that we had and we interviewed them separately, but we analyzed data kind of, um, we triangulated our data. So we interviewed GPs, we interviewed practice nurses. So these are nurses working in GP clinics. We interviewed public health nurses, who visit, you know, predominantly patients at home and they do, you know, pressure ulcer care, etc. Um, and we interviewed community pharmacists. So basically, they work in pharmacies in the community. The most knowledgeable people, and it wasn't really surprising, were GPs in terms of the deferred pathways. Uh, in Ireland, for example, we have something called rapid access uh, clinics. Um, and they're dedicated for different cancers. And we have one for lung cancer. So it's called RALCS, Rapid Access Lung Clinics. Um, So these clinics are available in eight uh, different areas within Ireland, and they're spread out across the Republic of Ireland. The most knowledgeable people of these clinics, who are the primary referrers to these clinics, were GPs. To a lesser extent, the other healthcare professionals had very limited knowledge of these clinics. And surprisingly, they had more knowledge of other clinics, like the bowel clinic, the prostate clinic, the breast clinic, and the skin clinic than lung cancer clinic. that was That was kind of a surprising finding. So we did find discrepancies, and these healthcare professionals felt that they were that the services here are quite siloed, unfortunately. So if I'm a pharmacist deferring somebody, say if I get somebody coming to me asking for cough bottles, coughing all the time, and I suspect there's something wrong with them. My role is only to tell them to go see their doctor. And then I don't know what happens after they go to their doctor. So there's no, there's no follow-up there, unfortunately, unless the person comes back. And tells the pharmacist I went and they found this and that. So that, that was a major issue, the siloing of the services and the fact that the rapid access clinics were underused.
1: Very interesting, especially when we're looking at the systematic review and the studies that you had to obviously filter through about three and a half thousand papers to get down to those nine papers, and yet the majority of those nine studies were all published in the US. What do you think is happening just in terms of evaluating the interventions like having those rapid access clinics is there a reason why we're not seeing more in the literature about those sorts of local initiatives and are health professionals not sort of able to capture or, or refer to the local literature about those sorts of interventions?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like these rapid access clinics, they deal mostly with symptomatic people. It's, 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 not, a, it's not a screening service. It's more a, a, a diagnostic service, if you want. And, and the refers to these clinics come from the GPs, really. So it's, it's raising the GPs' awareness of these clinics was recommended as something quite significant and quite important um, because the services were felt underused and those who worked in these services unfortunately had people who had advanced lung cancer by the time they made these services. Um, the GPs were very hesitant. They thought You know, the symptoms were COPD because these people would have had COPD for many, many years. So it could be just a COPD exacerbation, antibiotic here, cough syrup there. um, So the referrals were perceived to be late for the symptomatic people. In terms of screening for asymptomatic people, um, because we don't have a screening program in Ireland, we didn't explore this really. But uh, in the literature, uh, as you said, we filtered through 3,000 plus studies and we narrowed it down to nine only, predominantly, if not all, conducted in the US where these screening programs are quite established. What we found really the kind of effective interventions that helped with screening were having a nurse navigator assess the risk and kind of direct these individuals for screening services. Another... um, successful if you want screening, uh, you know, to to increase screening uptake a strategy would be shared decision making. So educating patients about the pros and cons of screening and getting them to make a decision as to whether they want to be screened or not. And in most cases, patients decided or uh, wanted to be screened. And as a result, there was early detection of lung cancer and uh, better survival. So um, the whole area of screening, while it has its disadvantages, the literature shows that screening can save lives, basically.
1: Yes. So really clear messages then from the systematic review about particularly the effectiveness of the the nurse navigator role.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Did you find in conducting the review that it was quite challenging having so many different types of interventions to have to assess and quite challenging also too when you've got Non randomized studies reporting on their evaluation of programs rather than tightly controlled trials?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like, given that the literature is quite limited in terms of what can be done to improve screening, we kind of got into this review with this mindset of let's include any interventional experimental study, regardless of design. So, we had pre post only, we had post only, we had I think, one or two randomized controlled trials from these nine studies. So we... Ideally, within within a systematic review of experimental studies, you want to conduct a meta-analysis of some sort. But we couldn't conduct that because of the heterogeneity in the studies included. So we went with the narrative review, and we grouped the findings based on the outcomes that were measured within these studies. So screening uptake, whether screening led to early detection, mortality as a result of screening. And I think one of them was uh, healthcare professionals' knowledge of screening. Etc. So they were heterogeneous, but we went into this review actually with this mindset of the we will be finding very different studies.
1: Yes, good to go in with your eyes open, I guess, and ha- have a clear idea of that. I'm going to hand over to Claire now just to ask the next couple of questions.
0: Thanks, Nicole. Thank you. Um, I want to bring us to the to the primary care setting or to the GP setting. You talked about nurse navigators and shared decision making being effective interventions. In the review, were they based in primary care, the nurse navigating and the shared decision-making?
2: Some of them were, and others were in secondary care as well, Uh, usually referred from the GP into secondary care. And then this individual then would be uh, navigated or advised as to whether screening is, is advisable for them or not. So it's a mix, it's a mix of primary and secondary as well.
0: The other question I wanted to ask about primary care was, were there any particular interventions that were effective in assisting GPs with actually identifying high-risk people and referring them for lung cancer screening?
2: Yeah, so what we did... Exploring in, in primary care, again, in, in parallel with the second project, we went with actual referral to diagnostic services as opposed to screening. Um, that was kind of a second review we conducted and published as well. Again, because we wanted to align the review with what we have in Ireland in terms of rapid access and all these things. I don't have data on the uptake of screening in primary care, but what I have data on is the uptake of further referral for suspicious you know, findings. And what we found there were again another review of very mixed studies that we had, and there were some interventional studies that used campaigns, for example, UK based predominantly. They were national campaigns. And the uptake of a referral, if you want, for further investigation was quite high among GPs as a result of these campaigns. But unfortunately, the effect of these campaigns kind of decreased or declined over time, which is kind of expected when, when it comes to knowledge um, decay um, over over time. So campaigns was something that we looked at uh, in terms of what can be done to improve. Uh, and then there was some training by specialists going to GPs and primary uh, health services and training referrers to refer people further um, was another thing that uh, proved effective as well.
0: Okay. I'm wondering if I can ask if you can reflect on all of your learnings from the systematic review and from all of the interviews that you've done, and maybe just comment on on what you think would be the most important thing for countries to focus on, particularly in the primary care context, as they move towards the implementation of of lung cancer screening.
2: First of all, we know that, you know, despite the disadvantages of screening, like exposure to radiation, etc. the advantages remain higher. Um, so personally, I'm, I'm biased towards screening, and I think we do need it. Um, people still smoke. People still have comorbidities that would expose them or cre- increase their risk. People still live in areas that have high radon, high, uh, you know, uh, levels of pollution. These things, unfortunately, we cannot control as much as we can um with screening so if you have a national screening service available to these individuals advertised and you know i, I think a first step before even educating the public about it, educating healthcare professionals um or or in parallel educating the public and healthcare professionals because if i'm over 50 heavy smoker i wouldn't really ask my gp to be screened unless i know what this entails so that's important Uh, and this is why i mentioned the push-pull strategies so you have to push people to do it but you have to ask healthcare professionals to pull them in as well using non-blame-free language and i think that was something that came up in, in the initial interviews where one participant for example said you know i'm a heavy smoker every time i go to my gp with pain in my leg he starts giving me lectures on smoking so i stopped going to my gp you know, so it's it's this whole using blame-free, uh, positive messaging to get people to go and, and access their GPs. And at the same time, enabling GPs and primary healthcare services to giving them the tools to refer these people and having a, a, an established program for screening. I think these are the three um, important
0: points. Absolutely. And I mean, I think it's a really... Important reflection on the language that we use when talking about this. So thank you for bringing that up. Before I hand back to Nicole, I'd I'd just like to know if there's anything in your work that has surprised you. Is there anything that's emerged that that wasn't as you expected?
2: The level of lack of awareness, I think, among people who are high risk, and we did interview them on purpose. You know, we we kind of purposefully went to high risk, and it's not only the lack of awareness; it's the lack of intentions to seek help this whole idea of um, fatalism was something that stood out very strongly, in terms of what happens happens. If I have a cough and it's lung cancer, then my time—you know—that's my time. It's time for me to go. I'm not going to my GP. That's that's me done, gone. You know, so the, it, lots of lots of emotional um, issues and and digging deeper into these fear was a huge thing. You know, this fear of being told you have cancer. So people had this idea of we'd rather die than go to a GP and be told you have cancer, you know. So although they knew there's something off with them, you know, even during focus groups, people were coughing like crazy, you know, like the whole, if you just hear the recording, it's all coughing. And I could refer easily some of these people and we did advise them at the end as, as healthcare professionals, you know, if your cough is lasting more than three weeks, go to a GP and they were like, but we've been coughing all our lives. And the other thing is the kind of decreased effectiveness of the campaigning that's, you know, heavily funded campaigns. Take the cigarette packs, for example, with all the messages and the pictures on them. A lot of people were no longer affected by these, unfortunately, messages, regardless of, you know, the ugly color of the pack. It's now like green, brown. I'm not sure in Australia how it is, but here you, the name of the, you know, the brand is... In, little font at the bottom, and then you have all these ugly pictures and very kind of nasty colors, but people were not affected anymore. And I had somebody tell me, I'm quoting somebody here, it was like, I don't need to be told that cigarettes would make me impotent. I have three kids and I smoked all my life. So what's the point of these messages? So it's how we target the messages to people who are high risk to get them either to go for screening if they're not symptomatic or if they're symptomatic to seek help is very important and we came up with the acronym swift i think to get you know to to help whoever would like to develop a strategy to to uh, enhance you know early presentation it's using simple clear and honest messages it has to be targeted towards them. It has to be worded positively. It has to be simple, clear, and honest. Basically, these are the messages from from that acronym SWIFT. So that was something that we took out of these studies um, to help people, you know, seek help early.
1: That's terrific. And Maori, if I can just follow up with one question. I noticed in the systematic review, also you talked about smoking cessation and the the potential for using electronic prompts in the healthcare professional setting to, to bring those sorts of in, interventions into place more. Do you think that's a, a pull strategy that might take the place of some of the less appealing or no longer effective uh, messaging that's getting out to um, people who continue to smoke?
2: I'd say so. Absolutely. And and again, these are very relevant to primary care services in terms of screening. Um, the fact that GPs are asked to take smoking cessation histories would prompt them automatically to go like, OK, so this person has been smoking for that many years and having prompts like age besides smoking history, family history, and all these things. So getting a full history from a patient uh, and having prompts accordingly has indeed proven to be effective in increasing lung cancer screening uptake. But then again, you have to have a national screening program if you want to reap the benefits of the system. Yes, you can refer for screening, but it's more of a GP sending somebody for an x-ray or CT, but CTs will be more effective than x-rays. You know. Um, on a kind of individual basis and based on the GP's decision to do that, it's, it's his or her own clinical judgment, as opposed to a set criteria and, you know, if this patient meets this criteria, they have to be referred.
1: If I may uh, just take the liberty of asking one more question about the potential planning for implementation of a national screening program in Ireland. In Australia, there's an intention, if the potential program would go ahead to use uh personalised risk calculator, um, the PLCO M2012, which of course has really strong evidence for its use rather than for the more generic approach of eligibility criteria like they've been uh, using in in the United States. Is there an interest in using that sort of personalised risk calculator for an Irish program?
2: In Ireland, we use the EU report uh, on beating cancer or the beating cancer strategy. Um, and one of the key elements of the strategy is to implement national screening programs in the EU, including Ireland, and um, having lung cancer as a priority within uh, this screening. The criteria, however, for screening remain unclear within that report. It's, it's, it's a kind of a vague statement on we need a screening program, but it's not, it's not as established perhaps as, as the criteria in Australia where there's self Uh, risk assessment if you want prior to going to primary care.
1: Terrific. Well, it will be interesting to see whether those different criteria in different countries end up being a a push or pull uh, mechanism that healthcare professionals might be able to use as a a way to draw people in and hopefully doesn't push them (laughs) away uh, from the idea of screening. So Mo, just to finish up, I'm wondering what are the next research priorities for you and for your team?
2: So, findings from these projects, we still have a final paper kind of submitted, which is a a review in terms of what happens from primary to secondary care, uh, and what interventions would help people in primary care to defer uh, patients to secondary care. This work remains on symptomatic people, again, in line with what we have in Ireland at the moment, the rapid access lung clinics. The priority, I think, findings from both reports that we produced the first report you know the focus groups with high-risk people and the second report is the focus groups and interviews with primary healthcare professionals so the findings from both uh, reports will be used by the uh, national cancer control program to devise these push-pull strategies so we're hoping to see a campaign uh, on lung cancer being implemented on a wider level Um, and then with the healthcare professionals there were lots of learning on what can be done actually to equip healthcare professionals with uh, the means to refer people. One of them is raising awareness of rapid access lung clinics and uh, the importance of iterating that, even if you as a nurse or pharmacist cannot refer patients directly to rapid access lung clinics, your role remains to refer them to their GP as a first step before you go into into rapid access clinics and specialized clinics. So these are kind of the messages that the uh, NCCP or National Cancer Control Program are trying to push in the community. Unfortunately, after the first project COVID hit, We finished data collection feb 2020, and then March 2020, we were on lockdown. So there was an earlier kind of intention to implement learnings from these reports, but with COVID and the reconfiguration of the health services, as you know yourselves, and prioritizing COVID-19, kind of everything non-COVID-19 kind of fitted the background. And we found this with healthcare professionals, actually this whole COVID-19 taking priority, people who weren't seeking help for lung cancer anymore. They were avoiding clinics. They were staying away from clinics. So it's kind of getting back into this routine of we need to refer people. We need to raise awareness of these uh, services and the referred pathways.
1: It's certainly an international challenge that many are facing, just just that return to screening and encouraging people to present. So we have similar experiences here in Australia. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast series and the paper has got so many interesting elements to it. It would be great to spend more time just going through those, but I think we have run out of time and it's been a real pleasure speaking with you today, Mo. So thank you again.
2: Thank you, Nicole, and thank you everyone really for for the invite. It's a pleasure to speak to you and thank you very much.
0: Thanks for downloading Research Roundup produced by PC4. You can access the articles and other information in our show notes. Please let us know what you think about this episode by emailing us at info at pc4tg.com.au or keep in touch via Twitter where you'll find us at PC4TG and there's also our website which is pc4tg.com.au.